Listening to Creeping Wave Radio, a documentation of our decidedly creepy escapades here on UMind once the mics go off. Napoleon! Huh? What is it? Get out of bed this instant. Uh, how did I wind up? Where are my clothes? We already have enough to contend with in this battle. And you go and do something like this. Like what? As if you didn't already know. Huh, right. That. How, How could you betray my, my trust, trust this, this way? way? Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, just let me find my pants and I'll get out of here and we'll pretend this just never happened. Oh no, you don't. You don't get to just sweep this under the rug. Let go of me. Hey, just at least let me put my shoes on. Grab the bed sheet. Like this? Wait, Could you, like this? Could you just pull it more that way? Which way? Are you completely helpless? Here. Ouch! Sorry. Just, ah. Uh, yeah? It'll do. We're going to take you to see the consequences of your actions. Oh no, oh no, what did you do to her? I haven't done anything. This is all you're doing, you little fool. Oh God. God, God has no has place, place in this house. Oh, please, please, I'm a, uh, oh, wait, the phonograph. Uh, this is the guy's room. Napoleon, how kind of you to grace us with your presence, even if you are a tad underdressed for the occasion. Huh? Vincent Price? It's Steve, actually. Steve? I'm afraid so. Well, well, great. I mean, this definitely is an upgrade from before, you know? Just... Look at you with hands and appendages and an awesome mustache. That's gotta make you happy, right? What did you do to us, Nap? Oh, wow. Which one of you is Peter Laurie? It's Adam. Oh, wow. This is so cool. How is this cool, exactly? I mean, it would have been cooler if you were the Dr. Gogol version from Mad Love and not so much the Raven version, but I'll take it. I'm glad you take such enjoyment from our predicament. Justin? You're the Grinch? He's Boris Karloff, you imbecile. Neat. How exactly did you arrive at the conclusion that marching into battle with three creepy old men and they're outrageous. Well, I never. My apologies. Three distinguished gentlemen in their sunset years. That's better. How exactly did you suppose that to be a good idea, hmm? It, well, 
I mean, isn't this just a happy accident, really? You accidentally wheeled the phonograph down to the room and, oops, played the song of the dying elder god for them while they slept. Oh no, I did that on purpose. How could you? Why, Nap? Why? I'll kill you! Kill you! <laughs> okay, but I'm only partially at fault here. Do explain. See, the way you described the cylinder, Scratch, you made it sound like they were going to turn into these huge, snarling beasts that I could ride into battle. You will do no such thing. You're the one wearing a harness. I am? Oh, yeah. I hadn't noticed that. <laughs> and how did you get those scratches down your back? Okay, you know what? Stop ogling me. Perhaps I should have listened to you, Napoleon. Um, when? I do believe that you're only partially at fault here. You're hardly clever enough to devise sabotage like this on your own. No, it was me, all on my own. Uh, you wouldn't think it to look at me, but I'm actually moderately clever. He's covering for someone. Yes, it's obvious. <coughs> oh, that blasted compass again. Can nothing silence that infernal thing? <coughs> what? <coughs> what are you saying? <coughs> I see. Go on. The gall. I'm sorry, you were saying? They did. What an intriguing development. Um, what did it say? Nice things, I hope. Napoleon, I invite you into my home. Yeah? I give you a bed to sleep in. <laughs> Not a bunk bed, though. And you repay me by putting your filthy hands all over my beautiful demon daughters. No, 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 I didn't. The compass says otherwise. <coughs> Traitor. <coughs> okay, but you said daughters, plural, and I only slept with Margot. You defiled my precious little Margot. <laughs> it was a mutual defiling, really. Oh my, how delightfully scandalous. She's a good girl. She only does these things for attention. As much as I hate to interrupt this farmer's daughter joke gone awry, we're still no closer to planning our attack on the Soviet vampire stronghold. Circumstances being what they are, perhaps we'd best reconnoiter. I'm afraid we don't have that luxury. Anatole, have you managed to reverse the Serpan device in Napoleon's phone? Yes, but just as this car came through. You have one new message. <laughs> Weird. Who left that? The car came from Cyrus's phone. They've begun to use the Thurpan device on him. As we speak, they're drinking away his leaving Aether. If we don't attack now, there's no hope of saving him. Well, how long do we have? Ah! Long enough for you to put a shirt on. What were you people doing in here? 
I'll explain later. Here, Napoleon, put my coat on and follow me. I want to show you how to operate the device. Yeah, sure, right away. Oh, and nap. Yeah? We aren't finished, you and I. I take it you've met the girls then? Yeah, Margot. <laughs> oh, she's always been a troublemaker. They all are, really. How many are there? I lost count back in the 70s. 70 daughters? No, the 1970s. I have no idea how many daughters she has at this point. Anyway, have you finished the holster for the phone? Yes, uh, last night. It's in my room, right over here. Excellent. Show me. I'm pretty proud of it, actually. <laughs> yes. A fine bit of impromptu engineering. I hope it fits. Ah, yes, perfectly. It's a thing of beauty to think that after all these years, I'll finally be able to take my revenge on Katya and her legions. Sounds like there's a story there. Yes, perhaps for another time. For now, let me show you how to work the Serpan device. Reverse Serpan device. Neat. The only thing I changed was where the energetic stream collected. This is just a portable version of the machines they used to drain the public in mass. Instead of flowing into the reservoir, the energy collected will be channeled into you. Okay. Which is why you must promise me, Napoleon, that after today, you will destroy this apparatus. Destroy my phone? You must. If you fail to do so, in time, you'll become just like them. And that's bad, right? Yes. Very bad indeed. I wouldn't wish the curse of vampirism upon the lowest vermin of the earth. Okay, then. You must hold it. Tighten your grip a bit. Keep your wrist loose. There you are. That frees the aether to flow into you. The device itself is fairly simple. You just toggle this doohickey here that initiates the accumulator. It'll take a few minutes to warm up, of course. Okay, uh, now can I run apps in the background while that's going on? Apps? Yeah, um, like, you see these things here? No! What's going on? Somehow you activated it! It's fully operational! What do we do? Put it down! Break the connection! I don't think I can! I can't let go! Help! I can't let go! Then you must will it to stop with your mind! With my mind? Yes! The device has bound itself to you. It is an extension of your own body and your own ether. Will it to stop? Please stop. Please stop. Please stop. Don't ask it. Will it? Control it the way you would another limb. Okay. Okay. Good. Just set it down. Easy. Anatole, are you okay? Here, let me help you up. No. I'll be fine. Just need... some time to recover. Margot said your inventions had a tendency to go haywire. No. No. 
In fact, it worked perfectly. I just hadn't accounted for one variable. What's that? You. Me? The serpent merely provides an amplification of your own faculties. I should have realized, but I never imagined I'd live to see. See what? How old are you, Napoleon? What? I wonder, did you serve in the Great War? Would we have been allies, you and I? You're not making any sense. Help! Someone help me, please! Can't remember anymore, can you? That's fine. Just fine. Someone help, please! Stop screaming and let me rest. Okay. <laughs> okay, sure. Let me dream for the first time in centuries. Dream of letting a mongoose free in a cobra's den. Okay, hey everybody. Um, I am here today with Travis Rhett Wilson. Uh, he is the actor who provides voices for both The You Mind and Creeping Wave. Uh, he is multi-talented. On uh, the episode that you just heard, he is the voice of Boris Karloff, Vincent Price, and Peter Lorre. How you doing today, Travis? Oh, I'm doing quite well, thank you for asking. Okay. So now Travis is an actor, and I, I first actually saw you, Travis, as uh, Edgar Allan Poe at the Whaley House, and I was really impressed with your performance. Um, and oh, then... thank you very much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that, that's a yearly thing that you do, right? Yes, that's correct. And not just at Whaley House, but at uh, other locations as well. And this is, uh, I, this is kind of your, your routine, is that you uh, portray Edgar Allan Poe and you kind of tell his life story through uh, his own person. Yes, that's correct. I uh, tell it through his journal entries, uh, his poetry, and his fiction in a one-man play that I do. Very cool. And uh, so I was so impressed with that that I actually asked Travis to come in and uh, help me out with uh, Creeping Wave and the You Mind. And uh, he did, and uh, he has been really amazing. He's kind of our Mel Blanc on this, uh, kind of our man of a thousand voices. So uh, we're going to talk to him a little bit today, see what makes him tick. So, Travis, let's talk a little bit about uh, what first got you started in uh, acting? What first made you realize that this is what you wanted to do? You wanted to be a performer? Well, it kind of started when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, my dad and I would uh, play theater games, sort of. Um, we would put on little plays for uh, my mom and for uh, close friends of the family. And uh, in a uh, performance, little sort of fantasy performance group that my dad called MOLW, which is an uh, acronym for My Own Little World. And we had a production company called um, JRW Productions, which was actually my dad's initials, John Robert Wilson. And later on, he would start calling it TRW Productions. He just named it after me, Travis Rhett Wilson. And uh, we just sort of put on little plays for my mom. 
and most of it was just sort of improv and ad lib based on a basic plot that he'd come up with for each show we did. And uh, I enjoyed that very much. And then I, that sort of grew a little bit as I got older. And then I took part in theater in uh, elementary school and junior high. And I sort of got really serious about it in uh, high school. And then I spread out to the community when I was finished with school. And I've grown ever since. So are there any actors throughout your life that have inspired you and uh, kind of motivated you, made you sort of, I, I don't know, uh, you're very much a character actor. Would you say you're inspired by character actors? What really drives you when you see a performance? I enjoy character acting above and beyond anything else. I kind of grew up with an appreciation for character actors in old school films, Walter Brennan, very much so, um, in old westerns, Eli Wallach is another one, uh, Edmund O'Brien in old films like DOA, uh, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, um, the, uh, the Wild Bunch, and uh, there's some current character actors that I enjoy very much as well. And uh, most young actors, they seem to want to go for the leading men most of the time. And I, I enjoy the quirky, strange, you know, supporting roles most of all. And it gives you a chance to kind of flex your creative muscles a little more and do all sorts of different character voices and come up with little quirks and ticks and stuff. And I, I've always dug that sort of more than anything else, even more so than playing the leading man most of the time. I, I always think it's it's a lot more interesting. It's more fun. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, are there people in your life who inspire you, uh, be it friends or family, uh, people who encourage you or drive you, or on the contrary, people who've stood in your way and said, like, you know, this isn't going to work out for you? Well, um, in answer to the first question... I found that the people who inspire me most are some of my favorite actors are people that that most people haven't even heard of mm. like it's it's local people that I've worked with um a very dear friend of mine John Lind is a gifted character actor that works locally in the community He's been sort of my mentor through the years. He actually wrote the first one-man Edgar Allan Poe play that I ever did. And then uh, in terms of like the more famous um, working character actors, mm -hmm. there's a lot of really interesting ones. Like Tom Noonan is a guy I like very much. He's this sort of – he's this extremely tall, bald uh, character actor that's – always plays these creepy act characters in, in like horror films and stuff. Um, you might remember him from the movie Manhunter. Oh, he yeah. played, yeah, he played the tooth fairy and uh, he's done many, many characters like that. And I just, en I enjoy those kind of actors. Um, another one is Angus Scrim. He was in the, uh, the phantasm movies. I enjoy watching, actors who very much play their roles like they could have done stage first. I like big characters, even over-the-top 
characters uh, for the most part. And it's something I enjoy doing as well. And uh, in answer to the second question, I did have a, um, a theater instructor in a community college many, many moons ago. I won't name the person, but it was a playwriting instructor, actually. Playwriting, screenwriting uh, instructor. And we would sit around in circles and read from, you know, plays and scenes that we'd written. And she actually told me one time, uh, you'll never be an actor because you talk too damn slow. And <laughs> I thought about that. And it, I sort of just said, well, hell with you. I'm <laughs> right. Yeah, I think one of the reasons I I mean, I do talk slow, but. I think it's helpful to have a character because, you know, you get a script most of the time and, and there's something that's sort of prepared for you. And for whatever reason, when I'm actually when I've stepped into a character, that seems to go away. Yeah. And it, yeah. And I think that could be the reason why I've I've sort of succeeded uh, to a certain extent in spite of what uh, that person told me i always think it's uh very interesting uh, your pacing for me like uh it, it changes so much depending on what character you jump into um like on the you mind when you play uh the doctor who studies bigfoots if you guys haven't listened to it it's it's one of the best ones that we've done but um yeah uh you talk very fast a very quick pace uh very kind of stuck up british kind of uh, it and it's really just fun to see you just become this other person because when I had first saw you I I expected you to talk the way that you did on stage when you're Edgar Allan Poe and you didn't and it was kind of a surprise that 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 you change so much when you get into your character that you just reform yourself and which is kind of exactly what you're talking about oh thank you so much yeah, yeah I just I enjoy it so much and and you mentioned the uh kind of hoity-toity British character that I played, and and that actually is my favorite accent to do. My favorite dialect is is that particular one, and what, what inspired me, I think, a lot. We're back to the uh, the uh, favorite actors thing again. A lot of I get a lot of it from I think growing up with Monty Python, mm, yeah. primarily like John Cleese who's always been one of my favorite comic actors, not only my favorite Python, but just in general, one of my favorite comic actors to watch and sort of listen to and, and emanate. And I had the joy of um, performing in a production of Spamalot a couple of years back, and um, it was just immensely, immensely enjoyable to speak those words and um, emanate that uh, story that I grew up with and, and fell in love with when I was a youth. That must have been really amazing, actually. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's so cool. So how do you hope that people view you as an um, actor? Well, not much different, I think, than people have a tendency to view me as a person. I mean, I... I like to be thought of as someone that, you know, works hard and and tries to understand uh, not only um, the dynamics of performing a character on stage, you know, in terms of the physicality and, and the dialects and so forth and, and understanding 
the outward appearance of the character, but also someone who <clears throat> digs into the psychology as well. One of the reasons I um, took psychology and, and sociology in uh, college is to kind of help me understand that aspect of humanity as well. And uh, something that I try to pride myself in is I think what's true of most actors is what makes a you know the the more gifted ones strong. I think one of our strengths is trying trying to inject an element of ourselves into every role we play, mm-hmm. uh, finding some bit of humanity in every character, albeit small, uh, however small or minuscule that crumb of yourself you find in that character to inject into it, I think it it helps to enhance the performance and bring that particular persona to life and make it more believable to each and every audience that comes and views that production. Yeah, and I should hope that people sort of notice that about my performances and and hopefully uh, younger actors can uh, be inspired by it. Yeah, very much so. I I, I think that people do have like an innate sense of that kind of thing. Like you can just tell when somebody's phoning it in or when you have an actor who's playing the same role that they always play. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah, it's kind of like, all right, well... But then you you get these huge emotional performances from people and you're just like, wow, where did that come from? And because they're they're drawing on events in their own life, you know, that uh, they're a real person. It's just they're using, like you're saying, that psychology, the, the memory, they're drawing upon those things to create this landscape of feeling for people. Yes, it helps to find reality and, and you must find reality in, in every performance uh no matter how far-fetched or over-the-top or farcical a character may be, even slapstick comedy can fall flat without some sense of reality or some sense of humanity deep, deep at the bottom of the barrel, as it were. Now, do you have a, a favorite character or character that you would really love to get a chance to play? The dream role um, that's at the top of my list right now Uh, First of all, let me say that I've been very, very fortunate in that I've had the opportunity to play most of the characters on my bucket list now. There's some that I would gladly repeat, but the one I haven't gotten a chance to tackle yet, I think, is uh, Joe in Sunset Boulevard, the the Lloyd Webber musical. But uh, the clock is ticking. (laughs) <laughs> so hopefully yeah uh, William Holden was pretty young when he played it in the film mm. so and I'm I'm not getting any younger so yeah. we'll see what happens well uh, maybe they'll make an animated version of it or something like that yeah that'd be cool yeah uh, now um, talking about Sunset Boulevard and do you have a favorite film or, or a play honestly because uh, you, you're so multifaceted uh, that uh, uh, just a, a piece of uh, storytelling that's your favorite uh, and for what reasons my favorite film of all time is Network uh, Peter Finch played the, the insane news anchorman Howard Beale and he was the first actor, you probably know this, the first actor to win a posthumous Academy Award yeah. for his performance. And I was probably, geez, how old was I? I was probably 12 when I first saw that film. Oh, wow. 
I was in junior high and I saw that movie and it changed my life. Just seeing that performance, it, it was just so dynamic and so riveting and captivating. And it was what was really funny about it, especially was I was um, I was taking an advanced drama class in junior high at the time, and I was sort of an outcast in school. A lot of people didn't quite understand me or know what to make of me, and I hadn't really found myself yet. I, I hadn't really come into my own clear-cut personality, so I actually started to emanate and act like Howard Beale in Network. Um, also, I, I, parts of me s- sort of behaved like Al Bundy and Married with Children because that was that was my favorite sitcom growing up. One thing I've always sort of found interesting, and I think this is true of a lot of performers, is I'm not entirely sure even to this day of if I even have a real me. What I seem to have come up with over the years is a hodgepodge of of different elements of characters I've performed as over the years and uh, things I've picked up from, uh, you know, mentors and and heroes and people that have inspired me over the course of my lifetime. And um, those two characters characters I mentioned are just two of them. I, I think everybody does that to a degree. I think performers definitely more so, uh, they, they have more of a sensitivity to that kind of thing. But um, you even notice it in like you go to the coffee shops and you there's this high in- incidence of women going like, oh my God, hey, how are you? And it's like, that, that's not your voice. Whose oh, voice yeah. is that? All of you can't have that voice. So. No. No, I've definitely heard a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think everybody's doing that to a degree. It's just that uh, actors, maybe they're, they're drawing from different wells than uh, maybe other people are. The I... dramaturgical approach of, of sociology, yeah, where you kind of, you're a different person depending on who you're talking to and who you're with. Mm-hmm. It's something that's always fan, uh, fascinated me. So what is your greatest struggle as an actor would you say oh my goodness more so lately it seem I, i'll be honest it's memorizing long 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 stri- scripts when i was jeez i was probably i'm trying to remember how old i was when i first played edgar Allan poe it was my first time doing a one-man play and i was sweating bullets i could not believe it sweating like a whore in church (laughs) i just it was 90 minutes of me talking and uh you know john god bless him he gave me a lot to memorize and at that time i didn't struggle with it so much but it did take me a long 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 time I guess it's more common than I've ever realized with actors. So there is that. And and then there there's sort of the the struggle of of one has to kind of one up themselves. Yeah, as they progress in their career, you you're always trying to outdo yourself and outdo your latest accomplishment. And I believe the phenomenon that we're our own worst critics and I have a hard time watching myself on film. Uh, I have an extremely difficult time listening to myself, and I always feel like I have to improve what I've oh I could have done that better or what have you. And it it creates a great deal of pressure. 
but this will always be my passion and I'll, I'll never stop loving it. And I think that's part of the, uh, the paradox is that because, you know, we're always struggling to perfect our craft. Mm-hmm. It's in that element that lies our love for the art form. And we hope that never goes away. Yeah. Now, I, I, I know you do the one-man show. Uh, you actually do more than one one-man show. You also do the Christmas Carol, the Charles Dickens show. Oh, yes. And you do that all by yourself, all the characters. That was really impressive because uh, every character uh, from the, the ghost of Christmas past to Scrooge to Jacob Marley, it's, it, it's everybody. And that was pretty phenomenal. And I just doing it all by yourself <laughs> and, oh, and, thank you so much. And that it, it makes me wonder when you see somebody who who's that you know in control of that themselves that they they can do that they can just be the play they they're showing it of them themselves. Has there ever been a moment when you doubted yourself or a question like, I, "Am I making the right decision? Is is this what I want to do?" As did you ever have one of those moments? Oh, you mean as a character or in terms of uh, like just as a career choice? I guess I, I mean in general, like uh, as a career choice. But uh, if you have any specific uh, highlights like from characterization or anything like that. There have been times when I've struggled and wondered if maybe I shouldn't take a different path with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've thought of um, becoming a criminal investigator oh, wow. just because I, I love – crime shows and I I'm very interested in um watching that sort of thing and, and the entire element of um investigations and so forth also I grew up wanting to be a veterinarian because oh, cool. I love animals yeah. then I saw how much it costs and <laughs> I yeah. saw all the schooling required and I and then I realized well I like acting more, so I'll just do that. <laughs> do you ever mourn a character like what that you were performing as? What once you're done with that, do you ever mourn the loss of that persona? Like, oh, I can't, I can't slide into that person anymore. I suffer from show withdrawal. Mm-hmm. I I do. Uh, it's actually goes two ways. Uh, during the run of a show, usually I'm ready for the run to be over because a lot of the things are. Is exhausting. A lot of the characters I play, you got to pour a lot into it and so forth. However, once the run is over, it's usually no more than a few days before I start to kind of miss slipping into that pair of socks, as it were, mm-hmm. and, you know, existing as that person. For me, the one I miss every time, and I've done the show twice now, is Sweeney Todd, because there's a sort of catharsis that I experience every time I play that role. And uh, I'm always trying to hone it more and um, sort of identify with him more each time. And uh, that is the role I would gladly go on tour with if the opportunity ever came along. In your opinion, uh, what components do you think make uh, a great artist stand out from because uh, there's so many actors out there and there there's so many um, roles. But w- what do you think is really what makes just somebody like pop off the screen or pop off the stage for you? For me mm-hmm. personally, 
you gotta be you gotta be nuts because <laughs> most of my favorite you know stage and film performers and television actors they have this aura mm-hmm. that reads okay this is a person with dirt it, this is a person who struggles with psychosis yeah to a certain extent there was a book i read some years ago where it had a beautiful forward where the author actually indicated that a person has to be nuts to go into this line of work and this business and i i still believe that to a certain extent i believe an element of mental illness very much so can help a person sort of grapple with a lot of these characters that we see on film and on stage and on television. And the stronger performers are the ones that can find that element of eccentricity in their art form and in themselves and in the roles and, you know, discover ways to bring it to light and bring it to the fore and and be able to, um, you know, ingrain it into their characters that they play and be able to fuse their own psychosis, if you will, Mm -hmm. with uh, whatever quirks and psychosis may exist in the characters they play. Do you you plot subtext for your characters and things like that? Uh, And is that a process that you go through? Yes, very much so. There's the subtext of the character that's on the page. Mm -hmm. And then there's the subtext that I I dig out of my own soul and my own personality. And and sometimes I'll fuse them together. If there's ever any blank spaces, I'll fill in the gaps with method using my own experiences. But I I try to do that sparingly. Mm -hmm. You you hear a lot about uh, actors with really strange techniques. um, And and you bring up method. And I, I think uh, a lot of people, when they think method, they'll, they'll think of somebody like, um, I guess, recently Jim Carrey, who just walks around uh, as the character when they're on the set at all times, never leaving that character, um, which to me, I mean, you, you also have to have a relationship with the other actors that you're around. So, you, you know, I've I've tried that. Yeah. And I, I, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried it. <laughs> And it's it's so exhausting to go that far with method. And mm-hmm. Jim Carrey is another one of my favorite actors. And my ad for my admiration for him being able to do that um, knows no bounds. I recently watched the documentary uh, Jim and Andy. Yeah. And it, it was just so inspiring. One thing he talked about that I, it just about brought tears to my eyes uh, was when he talked about how he, he'll be on stage or he'll be on screen, and it's like Jekyll and Hyde with him. A Mr. Hyde takes over and sort of guides him through the process, like someone pulling strings of a marionette. Mm-hmm. And for me, that is both inspiring and terrifying. <laughs> at the same time acting uh the the characters that are popular uh the way that people do characterizations and stuff like that it goes in and out of trends uh that we sometimes don't notice until we're out of an era and then we look back on a film and we we sort of say like oh geez yeah everybody was doing that is there anything that you as an actor are seeing 
right now in films, in uh, plays, anything like that, uh, any kind of characterizations, any kind of trends and maybe storytelling or things that that you object to or that you encourage and you'd love to see more of? One thing I'm seeing more of is they're going against the grain with traditional casting, and I love that. Uh, A recent example is Hamilton, Mm -hmm. which is extraordinary. Um, Colorblind casting, as it's been called in many circles. What we're seeing now is the resurgence of a lot of classic works being brought back. They're being brought back and we're sort of turning them on their head, giving them all sorts of different styles and placing them in different eras. And and, um, it breathes, you know, not only is it an extraordinary opportunity for uh, performers and and actors and artists um, from different, you know, backgrounds and ethnicities, but it also uh, breathes new life into these wonderful pieces of theater that we see uh, from yesteryear. And it's like they're being reinvented and and we're, we're sort of reinventing classic works Mm -hmm. for new audiences. And I, I think that's wonderful. So where can people see your work right now? What, what shows do you have going on or coming up? Well, I have a um, one man Christmas carol. I'll be doing that again at uh, the Rialto Playhouse, also known as the Sandra R. Courtney Playhouse of Rialto. Uh, That's coming up December 16th. It's a Sunday at uh, 2 p.m. If you Google the website Rialto Players, uh, you'll find the website. There'll be more info. Also, I'll be reprising the role of Ebenezer Scrooge in uh, A Christmas Carol, The Concert, at uh, <clears throat> the University of Redlands Chapel. Uh, that's happening on December 15th. Uh, so it'll be an interesting weekend. Um, got my work cut out for me. And then um, also I'll be uh, traveling around a bit with my uh, one-man Edgar Allan Poe play in February. I'm going to... Um, going to Illinois, performing it at Illinois College. Oh, wow. Yes. That's very cool. And, yeah. And then, uh, of course, any el- anything else people want to learn, they're welcome to visit my website, travisretwilson.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you so much, Travis. And, guys, uh, if you're in the area, make sure that you catch the Christmas Carol. Uh, if not, still check out Travis Rhett Wilson's website. Uh, he's a real talent powerhouse, uh, and you can always hear him. On uh, Creeping Wave, he's going to be playing several characters coming up here. And uh, on You Mind, it's it's pretty much the, like, Travis Rhett Wilson show. It's it's really just just him and me most of the time. Uh, Oh, you're so kind of you. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's really just, yeah. uh, yeah. So you guys should definitely uh, check out his work. Uh, Really fascinating guy. Thank you so much for talking with us today, Travis. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me on. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that glimpse into the life of Travis Rhett Wilson. 
who played our three creepy old men in this episode. And uh, I just noticed that there's a creepy old man in my house right now. <laughs> How you doing, darling? <laughs> so, uh, so creepy old man, don't you think it would be nice if all the people here went to patreon.com slash lucidnap and really just treated themselves to the magic of becoming a Patreon? Well, it is that time of the season. It yep, is. Jenny. Yeah. So it would be nice. And it helps us keep going. It does. It really does. It's, um, it's a magical experience that we can share with each other. And it kind of brings us closer as a family. And... Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but, um... If, if that's too sappy for you, or you just can't swing it financially, you can always just follow us on all of our social media sites as well. We've got a Twitter, we've got an Instagram, we've got a uh, Facebook. I mean, what else do you need? That's it. That's, that's what I think. Mm. So, okay guys, thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. Um, uh, even if you can't be a Patreon, we just love that you come here and you listen to us play around and uh, you're, that you're enjoying this ride that we're taking you on. It's been a fun ride. You've been having fun? Ah, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay guys, thank you so much and keep it creepy. I am. It's true. Thanks, guys. Bye.